Welcome to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Comes true on Sunday in New York. For our WABC listeners, a special message from Steve Chappellis, one of my dad's bosses at Longchamp's restaurants on my dad's birthday. November 18th is my father's birthday. And I think about him very, very often. And when I'm at a, an event, I meet up with Stephen Chappellis, uh, who is also a friend that worked with my father at Longchamp's restaurants on the corner of 42nd Street and Lexington Avenue for many years. Stephen Chappellis, Yasu, how are you? Yasu, John, I am very fine. And uh, I heard you told you tell everybody that today is your great father's, God bless his memory, birthday. And I'm sure he's in heaven and he's watching you. And he's very happy to have a son like you, sir. I'm also very proud to know you, John, at the Arcons. At the National Council of the Archons, you are the president of the Archdiocesan Council. I am a member of the Archdiocesan Council. I'm a senator now, being appointed. But but I am. I just want you to know that I am very proud to have known you and also your great father, because I worked with him at Longchamps, 42nd Street and Lexington Avenue. From the years 1963, when I came back from Korea, I'm a Korean vet, and uh, I departed there. I opened my own restaurants in 1997. Um, um, I was there when he retired at the age of 65, and we had a retirement party for your father, not just the waiters and the managers, but the, the owners of Longchamps were there to greet your father. Everybody was very proud of your father. Jan Mitchell there? Yes, of course. He was the owner then, Mitchell, and then it was bought by Western Associates, Longchamps. But Mitchell was there himself, honoring your father. When Jan Mitchell was 97 years old, I saw him outside of the Sag Harbor Hotel. And I say to him, do you know me? And he says, and he was 97 years old, so he was very old. And he, you know, he didn't say anything. Then he says, Katsimatidis. So he knew me. Yeah. And the other thing is, uh, I am a member of the board of directors of Rabbi Shnaya, and his two children are, member, are, are there with Rabbi Schneier, and... Uh, his two children came to me, and the story that you know, you know, I lived on 135th Street with my father in, the, in Harlem, but when I, I, I did well, I moved into an apartment on Fifth Avenue, and the apartment on Fifth Avenue was his old boss's, Jan Mitchell's apartment. Oh, what a coincidence. And, you know, you know uh, 
But I said only in America, the son of a busboy, because he was a busboy then, gets to move into Jan Mitchell, the the owner of 30 uh, Longchamps restaurants or whatever, Luchow's too, apartment on Fifth Avenue. And when I met his two sons on uh, uh, at Rabbi Schneier's, they said they wanted to come see their old apartment. That's a great story. Like you said, John, only in America. Land of opportunity. Yes. And all, yes, gives the opportunity, the greatest country on earth. It's a blessing. Us immigrants, I'm an immigrant, of course, were given this opportunity to glance at first view this great country. We're given the opportunity, but look, look at the opportunity that was given to your father to come to America from Nicheros, the island of Nicheros, work as a busboy but a busboy with the great ideas of democracy of America and the Hellenic ideas that he was uh, indulged with. And he had a son like you. Tell me about my father. You worked with him uh, every day. You worked for him a long time. Tell me about my father. Was he a hard worker? Your father was an example of hard work and honesty. I came... uh, I was in Korea. I was discharged as a sergeant of the military police, serving in 38th parallel in Korea. I was discharged at the end of 1962. The first job that I got when I came back, it was around February 1963 at Longchamps. The first person that I met there was your father, Andreas Kachimatidis, who was a busboy, but to me, he, he, he did not, act like a busboy. He was like everybody was listening to him. Longchamps, as you know, uh, John, was a very big, 82 waiters and busboys. And the first floor, the ground floor was the cafe on top on 42nd Street, but the the, uh, the restaurant, the big restaurant was below street level. The kitchen was underneath 41st Street. And the, and, and the end of the restaurant underneath was, was at 42nd Street, a whole block. Your father gave me the first instructions. When I, again, I was a floor manager, but I listened to your father. You know, I was uh, happy to meet another brick there. And the first one that I met was your father. A beautiful man, very hardworking. Thin. Um, he took a tray from the kitchen, as I said, underneath 41st Street, of 24 plates, one tray. He walked through the f- first floor. There was a, a stairway, 25 steps. He carried that tray up the 25 steps to the cafe where there was an elevator. And from the elevator, served a, a company every day, your father. I admire this man. I was 27 then. He carried this He play. was 59. He was born in 1904. God bless him. Everybody. And the floor manager, the, you know, the pay then was uh, minute. He was making... $50 every time they said, because they admired him so much, they gave him a tip of $50 then. Today, it's like $1,000.
That's how, that's, but anyway, before I forget, John, he always spoke to me about you. He was so proud of you. And if I remember correctly, I don't remember what year you went to New York University. I entered New York University in 1966. 66. And sometime later, you stopped the school and you went to work someplace. Am yes, I right or wrong? In my yeah. senior year, exactly. I started working in a supermarket and I never graduated. I was eight credits short. Uh, I didn't want to mention that, but he told me. He says, Steve, please, please tell my son he was going to, to New York University. He was very proud, New York University, big, you know. And all of a sudden, he says, he quits college and he, works, he goes to work in a supermarket as a stock boy. Now, listen, I cannot advise your son. I said, he, he's a smart man. He went to college. He went to your, if, he, if he stopped college, he went to, maybe he, he knows something better than you and I. Steve, I don't know. I don't know what you say, but since that I, 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 we have respect for each other, I listen to you. But he made me very sad. But I still love him. I remember you, John, you came a couple of times to the restaurant. I used to wait for him. There was a Horn and Hard Art restaurant uh, a, a few stores away from uh, Longchamps. And I used to go to Horn and Hard Art and, and get a, a peanut butter sandwich and, and uh, a Coca-Cola for 25 cents, 15 cents and 10 cents, and wait for him after, after he finished his lunch hour. I used, you, I used to work at the Horn and Hard restaurant on 42nd Street, and uh, what is it now? I don't remember. And I used to be behind the counter, not behind the counter. I used to supply the cups for the tea. They had a window where they put a quarter to get a sandwich, if you remember. It was an automat. Yes. But anyway, I'm going to talk about your father. He, to me, Mr. Jack and to me, your father was an example then, and is still an example now. And I know he listens to you and I now that we speak about him from heaven. I want to tell him how great of a man he was. The advice that he gave me then, I followed for the rest of my life, and I want to tell him that John Katsimatidis, his son, Quit in college, New York University. He opened the world for himself, for John, his father, but for every one of us. John, you're an example, and most of it, if not all of it, because of the genes that you have from your father and the advice and his example. Stephen Chapellis, thank you very much for telling me the story on my father's birthday, November 18th, and uh, God bless you, and, 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 and God bless uh, the, uh, God, God, just God bless. Thank you so much. May I finish? Every time I see you, John, if you remember, I yes. always remind you, I work with your father. Yes. I say that not to remind you, because I'm so proud to tell you that, to tell to the great man, John Kachimatidis, one of my biggest honors on earth 
is to know you, sir, and to have worked with, with your father. Thank you. Thank you so much, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll see you again real soon, and uh, uh, happy Thanksgiving. The same to you, John. The honor is mine. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to a show that isn't about finding Republican or Democratic ideas. It's just focused on finding solutions. It's the Cats Roundtable. Well, there's dangers in New York. I understand there's been a lot of fires. Uh, I heard as much as almost, almost 200 fires with lithium-ion batteries and charging uh, little uh, roller coasters or whatever you want to call them, bikes. And with us today is Chief Fire Marshal Dan Flynn, uh, and he's officially uh, 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 we took the mantle of, as Chief Fire Marshal of Investigations at the Fire Department of New York, the FDNY. Uh, good morning, uh, Dan Flynn. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, and I uh, appreciate you uh, bringing this to the public's attention. It's very dangerous. Uh, you know, I've heard uh, the uh, fire commissioner talk about it, and I wanted to get a follow-up. Uh, I understand there's almost 200 uh, incidences of lithium-ion uh, batteries being, uh, you know, charging, whether it's little scooters or whatever, and creating fires. Uh, can you tell us more about it? Yeah, we're seeing fires uh, related to these lithium-ion batteries that are meant to power these micro-mobility devices almost every day right now. Uh, I think a lot of the uh, public do not realize the dangers that are associated with these batteries and uh, the violent nature of the fires that we're seeing related to the to these batteries. We're close to 200 fires, but we also have uh, about 150 injuries and six fatalities related to these fires just this year. Last year, uh, we're set to double our number uh, for for fire investigations, fire-related injuries, and, and we have six deaths this year, four deaths last year. So we're seeing an exponential increase in these fires within our city. And, and that expands into uh, cars, I guess, electric cars, because uh, we had a couple weeks ago, we had Mr. Patronus on uh, from Florida. He's the chief financial officer of Florida. And during the hurricane, when... When the electric cars, the batteries got uh, wet from the salt water, uh, they were blowing up all over the place to the extent where they're thinking of a law in uh, Florida that you can't put an electric car in your garage because then it's going to burn down the whole house. Have you had any similar problems in New York? We're monitoring the uh, electric vehicle uh, fire um very closely, but we haven't really seen that here. I know in Florida they had a, an issue where their their vehicles, a lot of them, were underwater, so that that caused the problem. Here, you know, we don't see uh, vehicles being submerged, but we have not seen uh, many fires related to electric vehicles. The, our focus right now is these micro mobility devices, which I'm sure everybody sees on the on the streets every day. Uh, they they pose a great uh, benefit to our community, but I I just want to stress that they do pose some dangers. I understand. My friend lives in the, uh, that I had lunch with uh, the other day, he lives in the building on the east side, close to the United Nations. Uh, they, they had a fire in one of those uh, things, like the 19th floor, 20th floor. Do you, you remember that incident at all? Yeah, that was, uh, that was last Saturday. We had a fire on the 20th floor on 52nd Street in Midtown, Manhattan, and uh, we saw some heroic uh, efforts by uh, the members of our fire department where they actually had to 
lower down uh, from a rope and rescue uh, two uh, occupants of an apartment that were trapped because their battery uh, was at the front door of their apartment. So that's actually one of the safety tips that we really try to stress is if you do have these devices, don't leave them charging unattended and certainly do not leave them by your only way to escape your apartment if they do fail and go on fire, which is what we had seen here. Also, we don't want people to try to fix these batteries or create their own batteries. So if the battery is not functioning properly, if you see that it's change in shape, odor, uh, if it has been subjected to water or submerged in water, get a new battery. Get it from a reputable manufacturer. Do not continue to use the battery, and certainly don't try to repair the battery. Chief Fire Marshal uh, Dan Flynn, thank you uh, uh, for uh, bringing all New Yorkers up to date and all Americans up to date, and uh, we'll catch up with you again real soon. All right. Thanks for having me. Have a good week. Thank you. Well, it's Thanksgiving in four or five days. And with us today is Joe Parisi. He's the president and COO of Gracini's and D'Agostino's in New York City. And let's get a report. I, I previously said this week it's going to be the highest prices ever on turkeys. Joe Parisi, tell us what the heck is going on with Thanksgiving. As John has said, and John is always correct, this will be the highest price for Thanksgiving based on everything going on in inflation and and I understand other parts of the country are even higher. Yeah, they're saying, especially uh, uh, across the waters, they're even higher. They're running in the 30, 40 percent. You know, listen, and everybody says to me, what is the difference? You know, prices are ranging anywhere from 20 percent up to there's some categories that are up over 70 something percent. You know, the good news is products available. So we don't have shortages. No. Uh, you got enough turkeys in all categories. We got enough turkeys. We got hams. If you don't want a turkey substitute for a ham, we have some. Uh, if you like the filet mignons, we ha- they're available to us. The only area shortage right now is produce. Uh, a lot of that's due to the weather in, in the California area. So there might be a few shortages, but I think we got that overall under control. Uh, but at this point, I would say we're okay. But. Was there a reason why there's a shortage of uh, different fruits? Yeah, so what ended up happening was a combination of when we're switching from Florida to California, a lot of the drought affected a lot of uh, our crops out there. So that caused, especially in the leafy lettuces like, uh, you know, the icebergs, the romaines, the red leaf, green leaf, and strawberries. So there, some of the crops didn't make it through. And that's causing the shortages, and that's why you're seeing the price go up so high. Buy early. Don't wait until the last minute. Then. Yeah. My feeling is you should be shopping for your holiday now. Like today, today's Thursday. You should be out this weekend. Yeah. So, today's Sunday, so you should be out first thing on Monday, making sure that you're getting your product. You know, And, and that would be the easiest way to make sure that you have what you need. Understood. Is there anything else they should know? Listen, I think you have to plan your holiday menu. And then I think there should be in the back pocket an alternative. And and listen, definitely plan it from a pricing standpoint. Because listen, as John has said a thousand times, I said it, prices are up. I understand the uh, CEO of Butterball was on television last week uh, saying one of the reasons the turkey prices are so high is because of grain prices going up. 
grain prices are up 30 to 50 percent and that is the feed to feed the birds so that is affecting and i've said this uh on a few times i've been on this show it's the grains it's the oil the gas it's the trucking it there's a combination of things it's just not one thing so uh but definitely the butterball guy's right on the money joe parisi president uh and uh, COO of Gristini's and D'Agostino, thank you so much for updating. You have another point yeah, you want to make? The only other thing is, listen, one of the things that Gristini's and Dags is doing is to help uh, get uh, turkeys onto people's tables that are in need. So if you go to your store and you shop, you have the ability all next week to donate to this program, which is a great thing uh, that could help people that can't get turkeys for the holiday. So please stop in one of our stores, Christie's and Casinos. Thank you, Joe Parisi, and we'll catch up with you again real soon, and uh, and have a great Thanksgiving. With us today is uh, Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, and uh, he does wonders for us on weekends. He expands our mind and makes us look out and to the sky and, and wonder what the heck is up there. Uh, Steve Cates, uh, tell us uh, what's new for this week. Well, good morning, John, and to all the listeners out there. We're going to go back to Artemis One, As everybody hopefully knows by now, it had a successful launch to space. And the Orion space capsule now is headed to the moon for a 25-day mission, John. And this is really incredible. The power of Artemis One is over 8.5 million pounds of thrust, simply the most powerful rocket that we've ever launched anywhere in the world. But as of a few days ago, just to give you an idea of how quickly this object is getting to the moon, some one day and 10 hours after the launch, the little Orion spacecraft was 143,000 miles closest to the moon, and it will actually get closest to the moon on November the 21st. A great mission, a little overdue as far as many people's expectations. But, John, it is a success for NASA. We wish them well. Like we previously talked, I'm still disappointed they haven't done more in the last 20 years. But, I uh, agree with you how- totally. Yeah, tell oh, us, uh, I, what else? Uh, uh, the, that new space plane uh, that the United States has caused the sonic boom all, all over Florida. Uh, you have some other revelations on that. Well, interesting, John. They call it the X-37B, which is supposedly a super-secret you know, military space force little space plane. And what they're saying, it's probably doing at least as much information as I can get, and I talk to reliable sources, They're talking about the ability for it to take solar power and convert it to microwaves. But there's also a secret payload on board there, which I don't think any of us are going to know. But let's hope that with Space Force and all the potential for some dangers with, say, other rogue nations that may want to shoot down satellites, this may be a defensive platform. But, John, there's something else to report here to the listeners of the show. China has also been launching space planes of its own. I don't have the dimensions or the size, but what we do know that they've launched over the last six months, two of these individual Chinese space planes. And what's interesting about the Chinese one, it actually sent something out of its body, you know, out of the little space plane into orbit around the Earth. So we don't know what that is, but the Chinese are very aggressive when it comes to space. And they have something, it seems like they copy us all the time. How about that? A Chinese space plane also to talk about. And, um, uh, what are they? I mean, every week lately, in the last few weeks, you've been coming up with a, the mystery of the week. What's yes. up today, this week? Well, John, here's the mystery, and this is interesting. You know, we talk about mass extinctions here on the Earth. 
Most people know about the dinosaur event that happened 65 million years ago, and allegedly one happened 65 million years before that. But how about something that was called the Eradicane event? It was an extinction event that happened 500 million years ago. And what did it do? It was plant and some kind of sea life, but somehow the oxygen got taken out of the atmosphere of the Earth. We don't know why. Nobody knows what caused it. Maybe it was another asteroid strike. Maybe it was a burst of cosmic gamma rays. But the point of the matter is, Earth has survived so many of these so-called extinctions, and life magically continues to go on. But the mystery is this. What happened 500 million years ago to cause this? It's another of the great mysteries, John, that we continue to search for in the world of science every week, every year, to try to understand just how resilient the Earth really is. And that's what I wanted to tell your listeners. I always like to talk about the live sky, John, things that actually people can see as you and I talk about a time to relax, a time to reflect. Here we go. We're going to talk about some of the big things happening in the month of December. And we naturally know that we have the winter solstice coming up on the 21st, you know, as we change in the northern hemisphere simply to to winter. But here's something interesting. Along a good part of your listening audience, on December the 7th, the next full moon is called the full cold night moon. Well, what's going to happen, John? Mars is closest to the Earth right around that time and bright in the sky. And for a good part of the nation, your listening audience, the moon is going to cover up or eclipse Mars in the sky. Talk about events that happen that have some kind of symbology behind them. It's very rare to see a bright planet like that with the naked eye get covered up by the moon. It's a rare event on December 7th. And then we have a meteor shower again called the, the, the beautiful Geminid meteor shower, which peaks on the morning of the 14th of December into the 15th. You may get to see in dark skies slow-moving fireballs. John, it's always fun to talk about these things and what? Give us an opportunity to expand our minds and learn so much more about the great mysteries that lie beyond. Ah, Steve Cates, Dr. Sky, thank you so much. And uh, thank you for uh, letting us look at the sky and, and wonder what the heck is really going on. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you, John. Always a pleasure and, and happy Thanksgiving to Ta- all the listeners. Happy Thanksgiving, but don't forget, you're on the WABC website. Oh, yes. Hey, I always promote that all the time, John. That's awesome, man. You know, I'm getting, I want to talk about it, maybe an email address that I can use, too, there, because I get people to respond. Okay, we will do that, and uh, we'll catch up again. Gotham City had Batman. New York City has the Catman. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. Only in America can a guy from anywhere go to sleep upon and wake up a Good morning, New York. With us today is former Congressman Peter King. And we're a week, what, six days away from uh, uh, Thanksgiving. I can't believe it. Maybe four or five weeks away from Christmas. Uh, Congressman King, uh, we had the election. There's still races uh, uh, that we haven't determined yet. Uh, where the heck are we? I can't, nobody can believe that there's races we haven't been able to uh, count yet. You know, it's really disappointing. Like, for instance, in, in New York, though, I think there's only two or three seats that haven't been fully counted yet, and they are very close, and I guess they have to wait for all of the absentee ballots to come in, the overseas ballots, certainly for the armed forces to come in. But the ones I cannot understand are places like California, where after almost a week goes by, and there's still, like, barely half the votes are counted in some of these districts. Uh, and uh, to me, that's inexcusable, the fact that it took 
so long in uh, the state of Nevada, you know, uh, votes to be counted in Arizona. And it just what it does is it feeds into conspiracy theories and makes people doubt the whole system. So, uh, you know, I look to a state like Florida, which has two time zones, millions and millions of people. And yet they basically had their entire vote in by 11 o'clock that night. So I, uh, I would say places like Arizona and Nevada in particular have to have to clean up their act. As far as the results of all this in uh, Washington, it looks as if the Republicans have elected Kevin McCarthy to be the speaker and uh, Steve Scalise to be the uh, majority leader. Uh, and also uh, uh, it, on, the, on the Democratic side, uh, after really two decades as being their leader, uh, Nancy Pelosi has stepped down as uh, a Democratic leader and as Speaker of the House. Well, she had no choice to step down as Speaker of the House, but then she could have been the minority leader, and she's now uh, resigned from that. She'll still be in the House at least for a while, but she won't be the Democratic leader. And what could be important for New York is it looks as if the front runner for Speaker, on the, I mean, excuse me, the, uh, the front runner for leader on the Democratic side is Hakeem Jeffries from uh, Brooklyn. Now, there's not many issues that Hakeem Jeffries and I agree on, but I did find that we could work together on certain issues involving New York City. I know during COVID, he and I worked to get more funding for the MTA when you know the ridership went down so dramatically and they needed funding just to stay alive. So if, if there has to be a, a, a Democratic leader, and there does, I would say probably as far as New York is concerned, uh, certainly on those limited issues involving New York City, uh, Hakeem Jeffries would be a good choice. New York City and, and Long Island, he'd be the best choice for all of us to have. Uh, obviously, I'd rather uh, you know, be dealing with Republicans across the board. Right now, I would say that Hakeem Jeffries is, is, is the best bet for New York City. And then on other issues, uh, we know that uh, Eric Adams came out with a long uh, you know, position paper, basically, or statements on uh, fighting crime. And, John, you've been talking about this all along. Incessantly, I was really disappointed in the last election that uh, so many people who have not been doing the right thing on as far as fighting crime were reelected. But that's the world we live in. And I'm hoping that Mayor Adams uh, and if we can get the Senate, the state Senate, the state assembly to be more responsive and the governor, that uh, Mayor Adams will be able to make some progress in the, uh, in the war on crime in New York. Because as you know, and I know, it's getting out of control. You have. Uh, BMW is being robbed in, you know, right in the middle of Manhattan, uh, people being attacked, innocent kids being shot dead as they get off a school bus or out of a bus, uh, just being caught in, you know, in the middle of uh, a gunfight. So this, this has to stop. So that's really where we're at. I wish you and I could be more optimistic, but I think right now there's still tough times ahead. Now, uh, let me ask you, you were in the Congress for 28 years. Now, uh, it looks like the, Dem- the Republicans have the Congress. It uh, looks like, at best, uh, it's going to be the old Senate where it's 50-50 at best. At best um, uh, how does that put checks and balances uh, in the system in Washington? Yeah, the system basically is, uh, I'm afraid you're going to see more of uh, you know, a deadlock. Uh, what could be helpful against New York, though, is that we picked up uh, four Republican seats in New York. I'm not just saying this is Republican. I'm saying it. The fact is that uh, it looks as if Republicans will have a total of 222 votes. 218 is what takes a majority. Uh, New York is now up to uh, 
11 seats uh, in the in the house. We at one time we were down to two. We're up to 11. We picked up uh, f- four new seats in the uh, last election, including two on Long Island, and also then in Rockland County uh, with uh, uh, Mike Lawler and also uh, Mark Molinaro. So if, in many ways, New York holds the balance of power, and that should give us more clout, more power when it comes to negotiating uh, spending bills, projects. Uh, and again, I'm not calling for a lot of spending. What I'm saying is if there is going to be a transportation bill to make sure that New York gets its fair share, any kind of allocation of Homeland Security to make sure that New York gets its fair share. So we will have more leverage because the, Demo- the Republicans will need us. We'll need the Republicans to get legislation through the House. You're still going to have Chuck Schumer in the Senate. And he's a New Yorker. Hakeem Jeffries is a New Yorker. And how are the uh, Republican congressmen going to vote for New York uh, if New York needs help and and the Democrats want to give it help? Well, I think uh, it's important for Republicans to realize that whether you're Democrat or Republican, you are a New Yorker first. And we're just talking about allocation of funding, of revenues to make sure we get our fair share, then if you have to work with Democrats to get it done, uh, if you have to work with anyone to get it done, you know, you do it. That's your job. Uh, That's one of your main jobs is to protect your state against the others. And I've been down there long enough to see that um, most of the rest of the country is not crazy about New York. And whether it was Homeland Security funding, whether it was 9-11 funding, you go down the line, it was always, always a challenge, always a, a war almost to get anywhere near the money that New York was entitled to. Like, uh, a classic example was after Hurricane Sandy. Uh, a few years before that, uh, we had uh, uh, hurricanes down south, and states got $65 billion within a matter of a week or two. It was Sandy, which was much worse than any of them, uh, they, they were trying to give us almost nothing. We had to fight and fight and fight to get it. So uh, I would hope that the New York delegation when it comes to issues involving New York, can stand together. There's going to be a lot of disagreement on philosophical issues and that. But as far as looking out for the uh, good and welfare of New York to make sure we get treated fairly, I would hope and I call on Republicans and Democrats to stand together on that. But I guess, though, with Thanksgiving coming up, we can still be, not still, we have to be thankful we live in the greatest country in the world. With any faults that we have, it still is, a uh, again, you know, the greatest country ever. So I wish you and everyone, John, a happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you, uh, uh, former Congressman, I hate to say former, Congressman Peter King, and God bless you, and have a great Thanksgiving. Thank you, John. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. You're listening to the show where you can hear New York's top newsmakers interviewed by New York's first citizen. It's the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Dick Morris. Well, he was an advisor to President Clinton. And yes, he was an advisor to uh, President Trump. And uh, which side is he on right now? Only Dick Morris knows. Dick Morris. Where the heck are we? How is it? What happened in the election? 
and where are we going in the future? I'm decidedly for Trump. You couldn't rest about that. Uh, yeah, I think that the important point about the election, when you look at the actual popular vote throughout the whole country, because only certain states had Senate races, and some of them were just regular routine races, only about 15 of them were hotly contested. In the entire country where they did have races for the House of Representatives in every single district, the Republican candidates got 53 million votes, and the Democratic candidates got 48 million votes. So there was a five-point lead by the Republicans. And um, that's what I call a victory. What happened in some of the states in California where they're still counting votes? I mean, uh, that's crazy. What what, what do you think is going on? Are they looking for votes someplace? Yeah, they must be. But let me continue. The Biden won the election of 2020 with a 7 percent, with 7 million vote margin. We just got a 5 million vote margin in the House. So to flip 12 million votes in two years is pretty damned incredible. So I don't go along with those who are saying this was a defeat or who do we blame. I think that it was a victory. The only thing we were defeated by was our own expectations, which were exalted. I think the other element that's important here, John, is it stresses the critical importance of early voting. Nassau and Suffolk in New York and Florida basically delivered the House majority to the Republicans. It was because of their efforts that the Republicans won the House. Because what they did in Nassau and Suffolk and in Florida and no other part of the country is they kept track person by person of each vote. They knew everybody's voting history. They knew if they voted last year, the year before, the year before, whether they voted by mail or in person or absentee, they knew everything. And they followed it minutely so that they they fought each day as if it were election day, uh, like on October 10th or something. They said, yay, it's October 10th, and we just got 60,000 votes, and the Democrats got 50. We won October 10th by 10,000. Now let's go on to the 11th and the 12th and the 13th. We have to win each day. And the Republicans didn't do that, except in Nassau, Suffolk, and Florida. They sat back and waited for Election Day. So what the Well, Nassau and Suffolk County, WABC broadcast as a very loud signal there, and that happened in the last election, too, as well as Staten Island. Uh, And um, why did Manhattan, and why did the five boroughs, except for Staten Island, lose so badly, Zeldin lost so badly in those five boroughs. Why? Yeah, well, I don't know that, but I know why he did so well in Nassau, Suffolk, and uh, and Richmond. And that was because they really concentrated on pulling out the vote. What the Democrats did was to let every, was to sit back and pocket their votes. In the meantime, election day delays, long lines, difficulty persuaded people to go home. Um, in Arizona, 5,000 people signed in but didn't vote. They they had, they had just looked at the lines. They said, I'm not spending three hours voting. And the Democrats have already pocketed all of the early votes. And that made all the difference in these key Senate races. Had we done early voting, 
as I urged us to do in my book, The Return, Trump's big 2024 comeback, uh, we would probably have won three Senate seats that we lost uh, because the underlying popular vote was there. We showed that in the House elections. We just didn't control it for the Senate because we did not insist on early voting. What I've said to people, and you know how I feel, is uh, the Democrats know how to be street fighters. They were, they're wearing yep. combat boots versus exactly. the Republicans are wearing bow ties and uh, white shoes. And flip-flops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, I'm going to be, you know, what are you going to talk about at noontime today? I'm going to be listening for, uh, to the Dick Morris show well, at noontime to 1 o'clock. And uh, you, 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 you have a election. great show. Yes. The election, but I'm also going to talk about the new special prosecutor, Garland, the attorney general. Tell us about that. Named, has just named the special prosecutor to investigate Trump and the archives. And this is an investigation without a crime. Uh, the Washington Post, which is pretty much a Democratic organ, revealed that the FBI has found that there was no pattern to the documents Trump kept took with him to Mar-a-Lago, and that they basically were souvenirs. It was memorabilia. It was kind of ego tripping. It had nothing to do with national security. And, and they hired a they and the, and the Attorney General. Uh, went out and, and did a special prosecutor. I mean, are we running a third world country? What's going on? Yeah, well, it's another one of these scandals that wasn't a scandal. It's a little bit like the uh, the Valerie Plain scandal where nobody got convicted except one guy for perjury. Um, if this is a scandal without a scandal. And uh, the important thing is that after terrorizing the country for six months with the specter that Donald Trump could be indicted. It's now clear that he won't be because the major thing they were investigating, the archives, uh, there's no malfeasance. There's no intent. Um, he wasn't taking documents to sell them to the Russians. He was taking documents for a scrapbook and his grandchildren. And uh, he thought he had declassified them. So this is another ruse by the Democrats to try to deny Trump the presidency with no Understood. substance at all behind it. Dick Morris, I'm going to be listening to you at noontime today on WABCradio.com, 770 in the dial for the, almost the whole East Coast. And thank you so much, and uh, God bless you. Great. Bless you. Okay. Congressman Zeldin is on the line with us. Uh, welcome back to Cats at Night. Hey, everybody. Well, where the heck are we? I mean, uh, uh, you brought in, if it wasn't for you bringing in all those congressmen to, uh, in uh, New York, uh, maybe we would not have had the majority. Well, we, we had a lot of great candidates. Uh, they were out working hard. Uh, we were running as one team and talking about many of the same issues and uh, really excited to see all the down-ballot success. I was just in D.C. with uh, Congresswoman Maliotakis. She was telling me that four of the assembly districts in her congressional district flipped. Uh, wow. Great, yeah, seeing great strides uh, inside of New York City a lot at the Republican uh, Party. Let me, let me can, calm uh, down uh, David Patterson. He's a little upset. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> I'm not too upset yet. Go ahead, Congressman. <laughs> Well, listen, it, it was uh, it's just important for the Republican Party to work on uh, outreach to voters who 
uh, maybe haven't voted Republican in the past, uh, during our campaign, we would show up anywhere. Uh, we'd show up everywhere. Uh, it was the day before the election, and you know, just saw their faces in Co-op City in the Bronx when I was showing up. You're, you're not supposed to be here. Um, but, yeah, I think that it's just important for uh, people when they're out there campaigning for votes. Yes, it's, you know, you speak to your base. You want to make sure that your supporters are showing up. But uh, it's also important to expand and, and talk to people about issues that matter most to them and, and work hard, start early, take nothing for granted. And uh, for voters out there, make sure your vote doesn't get taken for granted. You, well, have, you, worked, uh, you worked so very hard. And I want to ask one question. And David Patterson, we're going to go to you and and uh, Rudy Washington and then you. Um, why did New York City, the five boroughs, get 70 percent of the vote when when, when, when all the crime that's going on? Well, there's different types of voters out there. I mean, we won Staten Island by about 33 um, percent. There were parts of the uh, Orthodox Jewish community where these election districts were coming in. Uh, a bunch of them had us up over 90 percent. With the Asian American community, we won Chinatown in Manhattan, Flushing in Queens, Sunset Park in Brooklyn. Uh, and then there are other people out there who, uh, you know, especially inside of Manhattan, uh, inside of some other parts of Brooklyn, uh, they came out strong. I mean, they, they heeded the call. The last week of the election, uh, the, the governor brought out uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton, Joe and Jill Biden, Kamala Harris, uh, a whole bunch of different celebrity friends. You had the Working Families Party campaigning to uh, be able to exist because it was a governor gubernatorial election. You had some labor unions uh, stepping up, and uh, it was kind of like they were cramming for a final exam. They probably shouldn't have waited as long as they did, but uh, you know they they woke up. Uh, in time, uh, you know, I would say sometimes with these elections, they say, well, if you only had one more week, I would actually say it would have been inter more interesting if the election was about one week earlier. Um, but still, it was uh, an exciting race and a uh, spirited contest and uh, grateful for your excellent coverage every single night. Just trying to get the facts out. Lee, it's, uh, it's Richard Weinberg. I just want to congratulate you on a great race, Congressman. I think you are the, the fresh face in the Republican Party. In fact, I'll go broader than that. I think you're the fre a fresh face for America. We, we need you. Whatever your next situation is, we're very thankful to, uh, to have you there. But and, and by the way, and for those listening, this is David Patterson, and I approve that message. <laughs> <laughs> this is the House Democrat, Richard Weinberg, and I approve that message. Yes. <laughs> but, but the other interesting thing, I read Miranda Devine's column, and she's floating you out to be Speaker of the United States House of Representatives. And I had to educate some of my colleagues, and I said— Two interesting secrets are, one, you don't have to be a lawyer to be a justice in the United States Supreme Court. And two, you do not have to be a member of the House of Representatives to be its speaker. So what do you say about that? And well, the second know, may be the less had, known of the two. Yeah, Ke Kevin McCarthy, uh, you know, they, they had the vote this week. He got a majority of the conference. He has until January 3rd to get 218 votes. Uh, on the House floor. Uh, he's working hard to put those votes together. And, you know, that really that the, the conversation is is mute while while Kevin's going through that effort of uh, putting the votes together. <clears throat> um, that was one of the other things that I've, I, I've had some people reach out to me about. And then as far as the uh, the 100 uh, Republican National Committee members who you know, have said that they uh, support 
uh, Ronnie McDaniel for another term. Uh, there's different levels of uh, support on that list. I mean, I, I've had people on that list who have had committed before my name was floated, who have been calling me up asking me to run. Uh, so, you know, we're looking at a list that, you know, isn't actually the, the number that is being floated. Um, but as people reach out, um, I, I'm able to get a sense as to uh, where her support is and, and where our support would be so that we can make a good decision. Lee Zeldin, thank you so much. You worked very, very hard. And I'm sure you have a great career ahead of you. And uh, we're always going to be there for you because you're a really hard worker. You got it. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news.